As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast alongside we got Phil Perry. We're also going to bring in a guy named Bob Sturm from The Athletic who ranks the franchises since the beginning of the Super Bowl era every single year. Kind of charts their progress, 1 through 32. Also, we're going to have JT the Brick, legendary Raiders reporter and late-night host, to talk about the addition of Josh McDaniels out there for the Raiders. But let's start with Phil. And Phil... I think it's time to get into the nuts and bolts of the team a little bit. We talked tight ends recently, but offensive line, I think, is an interesting spot to look at. Before I get to my summation, if you had to give a letter grade to the Patriots offensive line in 2021, what would it have been? Probably B minus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty good running the football. Pretty good at protecting the quarterback, honestly. I think a lot of that is the offense itself and the quarterback himself protecting himself, getting rid of the football. Uh, but the offensive line was a disaster the first month of the season. They almost got the guy killed. So you dock him for that. And I think you dock Isaiah Wynn for just not being, in my opinion, a $10 million tackle, which is what he's going to make next year. Too many penalties, not consistent enough. Uh, but he is a good athlete. And when, we'll put he's, him- when he's got his head straight, it feels like he's, he's a above average left tackle. All right, we'll put him in the crosshairs as we go through this process. My summation, check it out. They finished eighth in the NFL in rushing with yards per game of 126.5, 12th in yards per attempt, 4.4. They were eighth in sack rate, 5.23% of the plays where Mac Jones was intending to pass. He got dumped. They ran Phil for 24 touchdowns, second in the league behind Philly. They also allowed 10 fewer sacks than in 2021. So, If you look at all those stats, you pointed it out. The beginning of the year was a little bit shaky. But if we look at that offensive line right now, what I like is the interior offensive line. Very solid. David Andrews, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras. Andrews was rated fifth by pro football focus among among the 39 centers. Mason and Karras were fourth and 16th, respectively. And considering the Karras came back from Miami as kind of a depth guy and ended up being a starter after the shuffling that had to go on with Trent Brown, um, he's gone from what I thought was a duct tape player to kind of a legitimate solid NFL starter. Plus they have Mike Onwenu coming up from behind. Um, he also graded out really well for PFF. And all four of those guys, including Onwenu, were on favorable contracts. Shaq Mason, of course, um, was uh, where uh, he's, he's just flat out one of the best picks of the Patriots for the last decade. It's been a force. Um, but wins make, excuse me, Andrews is making uh, four and six, excuse me, $4 million about the next two years. 
six million dollar cap hits. He's thirty. Mason's got two years left at six point five and seven point five cap hits of ten and eight. He's twenty nine right now. Um, they're in a great spot on the interior offensive line. They are, and they need to be. I think in some ways the interior spots are more important than the tackle spots, given the style of quarterback that you have. You have a pocket quarterback. He is not going to be eluding any rush up the middle. That's just kind of how he's built. That's who he is. The guys that come off the edge, if they want to fly off the edge, the one thing he can do to avoid pressure is step up. And so, again, in my opinion, I think if you could pick between having a top five interior offensive line and a top five tackle situation. I take the interior guys. So I think they're pretty well set in there. You mentioned Owenu. I think he's a good player. I think he could play tackle if they needed him to. It's one of the reasons why I sort of veer from tackle in some ways being an immediate need this off season. I know it's mm-hmm. a need and it should be somewhere on the list, but I don't know if it's top two or three. It might be top three. I don't know if it's top two. Um <laughs> And so I, I think they're they're set in there. It's just the tackle spots that over the course of the next couple of years, I think are going to be a real issue. And that, to me, I, I think it's bigger, not that you don't think it's big, but I think it's more pronounced. Justin, look at the history of the left tackle position here with the Patriots. We went from light to solder, now to the hands of Win. Win this past year had his first fully healthy year, really, uh, since he came into the league. Um, first round pick in 2018. Full workload in 2021, and he was surprisingly ineffective and mistake-prone. He, he had allowed six sacks, five quarterback hits, 28 pressures. According to PFF, he drew nine flags. There were weeks when he was fully competent, Phil, but almost every game he had some kind of a misstep that led to a very negative play. He's back regardless this year on the fifth-year option, $10.3 million dollars. But the Patriots, in my estimation, need to plan for post-Isaiah win life and upgrade that left tackle position. Do you agree with that? And secondarily, do you think that the coaching turnover may have impacted Wynn's development? I definitely think that's possible. Mm -hmm. Would Isaiah Wynn not be a better player if Dante Scarnecchia was still around? Or if both... Cole Popovich and Carmen Brasillo were available? I think that's a very fair question. The only reason I think I have it a little lower, Tom, is I see immediate holes. And the Patriots mm-hmm. have to be like everybody else. You can't, this is, you know, and even the Patriots, Tom, when they draft in the first round, they draft for need. They ain't drafting guys in the first round and then sitting them. Even Nate Solder, it looked like a, a, well, this is a plan for the future kind of pick. He ended up starting most of that season, right? playing a real role. So I think there's, you know, whether it's corner or receiver or linebacker, you have some spots that you need to attack right now and spend real money on right now, which I think bumps it down just a little bit for me. And it might be, you might be in a spot where next off season, it's got to be your first round pick mm-hmm. or it's got to be your free agent, big free agent spend because you, you just are, are so thin there. It's funny. We're not going to talk about Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and, and Justin Perron very much, players like that who also have a role in, in the run game. But um, one guy we will talk about is Trent Brown. And he's a human eclipse. When he's out there, he's a handful. Um, 
but he only played nine games this year. So he's played 27 of his last 49 regular season games. He is a free agent. He's the kind of player that if you put on the film and he's actually on the film from that particular game, he's doing real good. So the Cincinnati Bengals might be a team that looks at him and says, hey, come on in. Do you think it's a priority to re-sign Trent Brown, or do you say, look, he doesn't play enough football? I mean, he's playing half of the games virtually, as good as he is, and he only allowed one sack and nine pressures all season. He's not someone you can really rely on. It just depends on how much money he wants. Mm -hmm. That's the big question to me. Got a bunch of Browns that play tackle that are free agents this year. (laughs) Orlando Brown's available, another massive human. Dwayne Brown, very veteran guy, but still very solid NFL tackle is available as well. You know, he might be a one-year stopgap, whereas Orlando Brown's probably going to want a lot of money. If Trent Brown and pro football focus, Brad Spielberger, who's been on Next Pats with me before, he has contract projections out for all big-ish name free agents. And his projection for Brent, for Trent Brown would be two years, 20 million, mm. 15 million guaranteed. So you'd be spending about the same amount that you'd be spending on Isaiah Wynn, which isn't exorbitant for a tackle, but it's also not nothing either. And it's vastly more than say Michael Wynn, who's going to make this year. So that to me is, is a little bit of, that's the line. I would probably want to be spending less than that, honestly, if I could. And so I I wouldn't blame the Patriots for going somewhere else, looking somewhere else. If he says, Hey, I need 10 a year. And that's the hard thing about losing your offensive line coach in Carmen Brasillo, who may or may not have been diminished by the loss of Cole Popovich, both of whom still probably didn't add up to a Dante Scarnecchia. These guys are going to need coaching. If Trent Brown goes elsewhere, who's in charge of, of, of coaching him up? Does Cole Popovich come back after um, not being interested in being vaccinated? Does he return this year? Does the NFL you know, loosen those standards? Are they still demanding vaccinations? There's, again, these are the these are the topics that are confronting the Patriots that when you investigate their situations are those little leaks in the cellar that people don't pay attention to when they think, Oh, 10 and seven, you know, they got their quarterback. There's there's a lot of stuff within the team, whether it's personnel, coaching contracts, cap situation, leadership as Gerard Mayo talked about, brain power outflow over the last few years that really should be scrutinized. And that's why we're here. We're scrutinizers. Okay. Scrutinizing whenever we can uh, check this out too, just for uh, poops and giggles. Patriots had 25 offensive holding penalties, eighth in the league last year, Isaiah Wynn accounting for four of those. He also had three false starts and an illegal use of hands. Okay. Wynn had four penalties in his entire career before 2021. Shaq Mason had four penalties all season, less than half of wins. I always thought he was going to be a good player. I'm out on his good playerness, Phil. It's he's a he's just a, a tough one to peg because he is a good athlete and he does a pretty good job of mirroring these these pass rushers. And he's stout enough. Like like you said, there, there are full games where you don't hear his name, but it's it's the Tom. I think it's a focus thing. To have that many penalties and some of the penalties that he had and the the low light that will be imprinted in my brain for years to come will be in Indianapolis, run to the left side behind Isaiah Wynn, who immediately whiffs on his block, 
And then instead of just staying out of the way, goes to chase his guy that he missed the block on and tackles his own runner. I mean, there's a focus problem. And so I, I don't know if that's fixable. Maybe that, you know, maybe that's coaching. Maybe if Scar was here, it wouldn't be a problem at all, but he's got to get some of that stuff cleaned up. Cause those are unforced errors. It's uh, it's, it's a concern. Um, meanwhile, let's move on from the offensive line. We got a penned out. We got a, we got a pretty much uh, summed up there. We got interior offensive line, solid, Exterior offensive line needs work. We're not even going to get into the Justin Haran, who was one of the worst graded pass blockers in the National Football League last year, going to PFF, or Yodney Kajust, or who's the other bro, uh, fella? Yasir Durant. Don't want to talk about them. Nothing good to say. Phil, it's getting batted around in our email chain today that Michael Felger mentioned the Patriots' fifth biggest need was quarterback. Jermaine Wiggins also theorizing that might be not a bad time to explore trade with Mac Jones. Colin Coward as well said, gee, maybe the Patriots should look to move off of Mac Jones. What do all three of those gentlemen have in common in addition to a shit take on Mac Jones? They're all radio hosts. How long do radio hosts have to talk? Hours and hours and hours. Why would you bring something like this up, Tom? Because they're just starting the pop, ladies and gentlemen. They don't believe it. They understand that a quarterback on his rookie contract, who was actually a pro bowler this year, regardless of the fact that he ascended to that spot because other guys banged out, he was the best rookie quarterback in the NFL this year. And he'll be the best rookie second-year quarterback most likely next year. He'll be the only one who went to a pro bowl. Phil, the aphrodisiac that is potential is going to leave teams crashed on the rocks chasing the siren song of a quarterback who can make things happen quote unquote there's no way mac jones should be ever be considered traded the only reason we bring this up is to ridicule it yes i would ridicule it yes thank you i think i think felger believes it yeah they need a backup they don't need a starter but they do need a backup so i would put that somewhere on the list too i don't know if it'd be number five on my list what i find interesting is that it is number five to get a new starting quarterback like to get a <laughs> like a future hall of fame quarterback that's the fifth thing on your list like yeah we need a they need a slot receiver which by the way you can get in like the fifth round Fifth round. yeah i mean like Hunter so, Renfro, that's number Braxton one Berrios. and a hall of fame quarterback aaron Rodgers or russell wilson or kyle you know they're talking about Kyler Murray is, is going to be moving on from the Cardinals. Like I know things aren't going well there, but it does feel like a stretch. It feels like a slow news day type of topic. Uh, listen, I get it. If, if you're one of those people that doesn't like Mac Jones because he's not athletic enough and you look at Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and you say, we can't, we can only win with that guy. Even though Joe Burrow just made it to the Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford just made it to the Super Bowl. Both guys are pocket passers. Neither one of them is all that athletic. Jimmy Garoppolo was cruising around the Super Bowl fringes for the last couple of years. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're just ignoring, you're ignoring the obvious. You're ignoring the evidence. You're ignoring everything you just watched for the last three weeks since the Patriots have been eliminated. But the siren I, song of the mobile quarterback, Phil. Well, I'm, listen, it, those people have evidence that it does work. I mean, Josh Allen's pretty damn good. Patrick Mahomes is pretty damn good. If that's what you're chasing because you think you need it, I would say you don't, but I get why you like those guys and you want one. I, I get that. I, I was somebody last year who said, Justin Fields, if he's there at 15, sign me up. Trey Lance, if everybody else is gone, 15, sign me up. 
The potential's real. And you know what? Here's the thing, though. If they had gotten that player, we don't know whether or not Josh McDaniels would have been, you know, hired by the Raiders. But say he would have been. Now you would have Justin Fields doing what under whom in 2022? (laughs) That would probably be a little bit of a problem. I still think, you know, Matt Jones still needs coaching too, but those guys would be, they might be extra lost as a young quarterback without a real offensive coordinator. I'm going to jettison you because I'm going to get my guy, Bob Sturman here. He's on deck. I'm going to get him in here and uh, it should be fascinating. Huh? Say hi to Robert for me. I will. Okay. Thanks buddy. Very much. Okay. Bye. I gave Phil the bums rush because I had my guy Bob Sturm from The Athletic on deck to talk about a fantastic story that he has up on The Athletic right now. It's called um, the 2022 NFL Super Bowl era franchise rankings. The Rams shoot up another tier with their title. Bob, give me a little bit of your background and the genesis of this list, which you do every year, which is ranking franchises during the Super Bowl era. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I, uh, you know, just uh, just your typical football nerd who's been doing this a long time, I guess, and uh, wanted to find a way into the NFL and the media was my path, I guess. And so for the last 23 seasons or so, I've been covering the Cowboys for various outlets. Of course, the athletics lifespan is not quite to that, but uh, morning news, I I work at the ticket in Dallas. And so Mm -hmm. I uh, grew up a cheesehead. In fact, uh, I don't know that you ever fully break out of your cheesehead mold, but uh, no, we got a few of those in Massachusetts. Some of yeah, our main it, people, yeah, Frank Kuzmarek and, and, and Michael Felger. It's a lifelong commitment, I think. But uh, but uh, you, you, you're a cheesehead and then you cover the Cowboys. So two teams that have their fair share of uh, NFL history, to say the least. And invariably, the conversations uh, pop up. I am certainly a man who gets frustrated with uh, bad opinions from people. I try to make things as objective as possible uh, so that you don't blame me. You just blame the math. And, uh, and, and, and I try to come up with something. Finally did it in 2002 and, uh, you know, I've tweaked the formula as we go. But it's, it's tough to do when you're trying to span 56 years. Uh, we know the NFL has has some format changes that don't make everything apples to apples, even the season length. And so I tried to come up with something and uh, it, people seem to really enjoy it. And here's our guy's system. Bob um, has tweaked it, as he said, over the over uh, the, the course of time. But he has points, a point system. Yes. Winning the Super Bowl is going to earn, earn you 11 points. Losing the Super Bowl is going to earn you five. Thank God. You know how tired people out here are of hearing that. Joe Montana's undefeated Super Bowl record is superior to Tom Brady's. Uh, AFC, NFC Championship game appearance, you're going to get three. Making the playoffs, you're going to get a point. Right. Um, only one threshold per year. You don't, you don't compound. It's not compound interest out there. No, like, no. And, and, and honestly, the big point of controversy, Tom, was uh, 11 versus five. I just never felt good about saying two Super Bowl losses equal a Super Bowl win. Ooh, I like that. That's very, very heady. Trying to make it worth slightly more, and and that does end up breaking ties because these things move like icebergs very slowly now that we've had 56. I mean, when you had 20 Super Bowls, you could change the rankings every year. Now it's very, very slight tweaks uh, from teams that put three or four good years, or in, I guess in the Patriots' case, 20 good years together, and uh, and you can you can move up the charts, but it doesn't happen with one fluky year. All right, we'll get right to it then. Um, using that point, bearing that in mind, the 11 for a Super Bowl title, 
uh, five for a Super Bowl appearance. Um, this year, Steelers are at one with yeah. 116. They had a playoff appearance this year. Patriots are at 115. Cowboys 112. Hanging on. Barely. The Niners are fourth of the Super Bowl era franchises. They have 104 points. Yes. What did your top five, if you can recall, look like in 2002? Okay, so the first time I did this, the top five, uh, that's okay. So I, I have this, and I want to make sure I get it All right. All right, we're going to call it 20. We're going to so, call yeah. it 20. We're going to let you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Pull it up. We're back. Bob's got it. Yes. So the top five, as it originally appeared in 2002, the Cowboys were one with a huge lead, not even close. 49ers two. Pittsburgh and Oakland were tied for three. And uh, the Miami Dolphins somehow Mm. number number five. I love this. Can you keep going? Uh, I I have the top ten in front of me. Let's hear it. Washington and Denver tied at six. The Rams were at eight, Minnesota nine, Green Bay 10. Ooh, Buffalo hadn't gotten there all those appearances, but they stunk for so much of that. Yeah, the, the bottom, 70s and 80s. The bottom five is pretty interesting, too. Give it to me. Uh, Tampa Bay was uh, 28th, or yep. geez, at the time. Yeah, I guess the Texans were born by then. The tw- They were 28th. Texas the were born in 02. We didn't even bother with the Texans on this yeah. list, of course. But uh, Tampa Bay was fifth from the bottom, Detroit fourth, Seattle third from the bottom the new orleans saints were second from the bottom and uh, the arizona cardinals were bottom patriots had to be lower than 25 yeah yeah no they had two super bowl appearances maybe they're uh, higher so let's see so i I actually have a graph uh that i made on last year's piece because it was hilarious to just look at tom brady's career compared to a lot of the franchises uh when you add on the tampa bay points but um new england the first time i did this we're at 34 total points in the year 2001. So basically the start of Brady's career, uh, they were at 17 points in, you know, in 1996. So that, that probably would have put you about 20, 20 to 20 second in the mm-hmm. original list. And then, and then of course, shot straight up the graph, as you can imagine. As it's evolved, you said you're a football nerd, also probably a football fanatic, and yes, you love the history of the game. I'm sure you can tell me who made the one-handed catch behind his back in Super Bowl One, right? Oh, you, uh, you, you. Well, the Super Bowl t- One, the one-handed catch behind his back. Well, I mean, the hungover guy. It's either, yeah, of course. Well, it's Max McGee. Max yeah, McGee. Yeah, see, and, and, and same, same dollar, guy. You know, right? it's okay. we just. You know, who was the running back for the for the uh, Washington Redskins at the time? I know it's politically incorrect now, but let's use the, te- the name at the time. 
who was the rookie running back who went for 200 plus? Uh, Timmy Smith, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we yeah. could do this all day. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> who was uh, yeah. this? Is right in your wheelhouse. I love doing just off the top of the head. Uh, Super Bowl MVP, Steelers, uh, Cowboys, Super Bowl in the 90s, 95, I think. 95, Larry Brown. Yeah, uh, yeah, but give me one, want, give me one. If you want, okay. Uh, how about uh, Super Bowl MVP of uh, Super Bowl uh, four played in New Orleans? Uh, let's see. One uh, was that was that Vikings and Chiefs? Yes, sir. Oh shoot! So the, Chiefs, Glenn uh, Dawson. Glenn Dawson, the famous right. the famous Super Bowl, perhaps best known for the hot air balloon crashing into the stands uh, in the pregame festivities. Our only Super Bowl. Um, you're going to this a layup for you. Our only Super Bowl uh, MVP from a losing team would be. Oh, that would be Chuck Holly, of course. Correct. Correct. Uh, uh, the longest sack in Super Bowl history. I'll keep with the Cowboy stuff. Uh, Bob Lilly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Chasing down uh, Bob Greasy, right? The reason I know this is at Hobbamock Elementary School in Pembroke, Massachusetts, they had these tiny black books. Yes, sir. Do you remember these? Yeah. They had black books that, that chronicled each Super Bowl. And at the time, you know, when I was at Hollabach, that would have been like seven Super Bowls. So I yeah. would go in and read the same stories over and over and over again about the first seven Super Bowls. So right. I know all there is to know about the first seven Super Bowls. Well, well, like any football nerd, uh, the, the parlor game that I was uh, proud of, but I'm actually losing it, uh, like my fastball, was, uh, was, was knowing uh, score teams, stadium, and uh, MVP of all the Super Bowls. And I have found, as I'm sure most of us have, that I remember the first 10 way better than the last five. I know. Scores. So it's just, it's uh, it's weird how stuff stays with you the whole time. Now, there's a great story, if you ever want to Google it, from the New York Times, done a few years back, and it explains why the music of our youth from eight to 14 is the music that we always return to. It has something to do with the way our brains are wired. I love it. So I, would, that's why I, would, I would definitely love to see that story. That's so. why I'm down with the talking heads, the clash and the police. Spill. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, um, no. Talk to me about Tom Brady as an individual franchise, Bob. Okay. So, so last year we, we, yeah, we, we put him in for the first time and now that uh, it appears he's retiring, I put him in again for laughs today, but uh, uh, just cause it's absurd. It's uh, you know uh, we, we, we can all debate, you know, technicians or highlight films or whatever. But when you just talk about pure uh, team and individual accomplishments, just like, like type out a resume about what somebody did. He has so lapped the field that it's hilarious uh, and, and everybody, you know, just at the end, just kind of bows. So, so the different ways I did this, Tom, were pretty much, um, total points, but then also mm -hmm. points per year, because there are franchises that haven't been here for all 56. And I wanted to try to normalize it. And so if you go by franchise points per year, it, it, it sort of pops up the same order, Steelers, Patriots, Cowboys, Niners, but then there are a couple unexpected guests in there. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, for instance, shoot up to number six, even though they weren't allowed to take the Browns history with them to uh, Baltimore. And, and, and just there's a few teams like that that just can so I re can I revisit that just so I can articulate it to understand. So it's points per year. So. Um, so, for instance, on Brady, I'm going to use this, Bob, just because yeah. it's verbal and I have a hard time so right, I'm right. making sure the listeners get it, too. Yeah. So with that 
point scheme of 11 for a Super Bowl win, five for a Super Bowl loss. Yes, sir. Three, is it, for an AFC-NFC championship appearance? That's right. That's right. A final and then one for a playoff appearance. Right. Um, Brady has – is averaging over 21 seasons 5.19 points per season. So it's it's better than a playoff. It's better than an AFC championship game. It's, it is better than um, – a Super Bowl loss, basically on average, you can expect Brady to be a tick over every year, generating something a smidge better than a Super Bowl loss. Yeah, so. and to re- and to really make it silly, uh, which which I, I think properly puts this in context, the number one franchise in these fifty six years is barely the Pittsburgh Steelers. They average two point zero seven points per year, two point zero, so rounded up to two point one. So to have Brady basically at five point two, it's it's beyond double it's it's two and a half times every other franchise the the most successful ones so did brady did brady in your estimation bob have to go to tampa to prove his individual well i mean <laughs> I, I i would call it like the final dunk you know i mean for any it's again our industry is really really based on stupid arguments okay so yes. I, I i hate to uh, completely turn on the entire industry that's helped me buy this house but uh you know it's, it's all based on really really uh um convicted conversations of stupidity where people are positive they're right even though they they clearly aren't uh but in the case of brady the last barrier to to break through was well, it was all Belichick system, blah, 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 which, which again, by that point was already kind of a silly conversation, but to go to Tampa Bay and to kind of reinvent, almost play a, a different style, a different supporting cast, different, different conference, join a division with Drew Brees in it. Uh, you know, you just, all these, all these things that he set up and then knocked down. I wouldn't say he needed it, but talk about going out with a tomahawk dunk on everybody that ever ever questioned it at the end i mean it's insane it's i, I don't even know what the equal is in sports to be yeah honest. it's 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 like jordan going to the wizards and and just lugging them along and jordan was of course the third overall pick i think the resistance with brady was always that where he came from yeah you're you're the 199th pick everybody got it wrong for, for 198 picks right we're not all that stupid. And it's the same way with, you know, you're, you're down in Texas. So, you know, you look at these college football teams who are 11 and 0 through week through 12 weeks and they can't get a sniff in the AP poll, which used to matter because they weren't pre-sold as one of the best teams in the country. Right. Brady was not pre-sold as one of the best quarterbacks. So they had to be reasons always uh, ascribed to him. I mean, I remember down here, we had Drew Henson and everybody was like, Oh yeah. I mean, Drew Henson, uh, he was, he was uh, in front of Brady at Michigan for a little while. I mean, surely uh, Henson must really be able to play because he went to go play baseball. Of course, he couldn't play at all. But uh, yeah, it's just it's the narrative of his career. Uh, and, and I will confess, I mean, you know, if you're a cheesehead, you got your Favre, you got your Rodgers, you got your guys who who can probably make better highlight tapes. Than mm-hmm. So you're you're positive. Well, that must mean greatness. And 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 so you're you're cynical at first and, and and then like a decade later you're like okay 
I probably got this one wrong. And you just keep, and then he keeps going another decade and you're just like, all right, I get it, dude. You're great. You know? So, uh, nothing but respect for, for a guy who probably would still be one of the very best in the game. Should he want to continue to play past birthday 45? I mean, talk about rewriting history on every level. Do you know how lucky I am? I mean, I think about it all the time, but it'll be actually interesting to hear you articulate it because I say this to people a lot. I'm like, look, I've, I've covered the equivalent of Walsh's 49ers and Lombardi's Packers. Yeah. Just sitting here in my backyard, 20 miles from where I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's insane. And of course the reason nobody likes new England sports fans is uh, they did that. Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, all within these 20 years, that little punk at the parade with all that sign where he talks about, you've seen 14 parades and 14 years of life or whatever. I mean, come on, man. Like, like I am a diehard Milwaukee Bucks fan. I just had the summer of my life. And the reason it was the summer of my life is because it could never happen. The Milwaukee Bucks could not win the world title. It's impossible. It's a dream that's beyond dreams because uh, our, our brains growing up with that team would never even fathom that the stars would ever align properly. We, we might be able to make a conference final. That'd be wonderful, but win the whole thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was there and I still don't believe it happened. So well, it's, it's so unbelievable because that's the way I felt until the age of 35, regardless of what the Celtics did in the eighties. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, the Celtics were the Celtics and they had Larry Bird and we had a great time and we stomped on the Bucks, you know, and Sidney Moncrief, Junior Bridgman and Brian Winters and of course yeah. the great Marcus Johnson. It would suck for them. But, you know, I was a Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics guy, the Bruins, yeah. they, they won some titles, but I just wanted to see the Patriots win a Super Bowl. I wanted to see the Patriots be competitive. I remember being excited in like 1990, 91, 92, 93, when the Niners were coming to Foxborough because there was less, yeah. it seemed like they were, oh, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana are going to be at, Joe, at Foxborough Stadium because that was the gold standard. And then to sit there and watch this gold standard just propagate itself for two decades. I mean, what the? <laughs> what am uh, yeah, I doing? Yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all, I mean, it's the opposite of the Cowboys, right? Because uh, the, I mean, first of all, the experience is an unbelievable ride. Uh, it's, it's, it's more than anybody could dream of. And, and for you to get the, to cover that is, is, is beyond belief. I showed up in Dallas in 1998 and, uh, yes, we have enjoyed the, the Dirk, uh, title of 2011 and the, I guess the stars Stanley yep. Cup 1999. I mean, it's not like there's been nothing here, but Rangers were all right, but everybody everybody sets everything aside for the Dallas Cowboys. And I got here and the triplets were all still playing Troy and Michael and, 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 and Emmett. And of course, Moose and, and a lot of the, a lot of the same players were there, but it was the tail end. And, and it started this trip through the wilderness that goes on even till today, the, the craziness of uh, even the news cycle that we're in right now with Cowboys football uh, certainly doesn't need to, uh, uh, remind anybody that somehow, despite 25 years of zero relevant wins, um, they are still somehow a lead story, which I'm sure chaffs the rear end of every single person that uh, follows this game. What'll be fascinating is, is to wonder whether or not in 20 years, if the Patriots go through a similar bout of 
okayness. Yeah, well, mediocrity. Uh-huh. If people are still going to be, because this is a this is a, an international team. It rose to the level of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's honestly like like me. I my I grew up in a house that would would reference the Packers like it was title town, uh, and and I was born in 1972 that means nothing to me it's a it's a it's a fairy tale like jack and the beanstalk or something as you're telling me about the packers with lombardi used to win titles i i guess i can see the mm-hmm. footage of it once in a while but i that, that doesn't mean anything to me i was born into it and then when i was born from 72 to 93 people forget this because uh, i think packer fans have become hateable over the course of time but those 21 years the first 21 years of my life they went to one playoff year. They and it sucked. Was, and it was 1982, which was a strike year, and I don't even count it because they got to the playoffs with like a five-win record. Might have, been so, Lynn, might have been a Lynn Dickey year? Oh, it was definitely a Lynn Dickey year. And, uh, and, and they, they beat the Cardinals in the wildcard round and got drilled at Texas Stadium, and I was so proud of them that uh, we made it to uh, Texas Stadium. We got to play against the, the Cowboys. This is so, so cool. Great. That's Drew Pearson <laughs> over there. So for 21 years – they were never even a playoff team. And, and then, you know, they've gone on their own 30-year run of, of great football, but only two titles, which is silly. It's like saying only climbed Everest twice. Uh, titles are very difficult to get to, and dumb sports talk has said only two titles. That's great. It's really hard to win two. It's impossible to win seven or whatever. So, so let me just make that clear. But the point to all this is, a good run of football does one thing that we are we're unaware of, which is it ruins the fan base. Mm. So, so I will tell you, I highly doubt the Patriots will continue this dynasty. They might have some great years, but every Patriots fan that lived through the dynasty is now ruined because they're going to look at every dinner and they're going to say, man, I remember when this dinner was so much better and uh, the steak was properly made and it was proper temperature. And what is this that I'm supposed to act? Oh, we made the wild card round this. Thank you. You know, it's just, it's, it's the, the, the Cowboys fan base is so cynical now. So I, I hate to misuse the term uh, mentally broken or mentally ill, but uh, they like, they can't enjoy a win. They, you know, they went to Foxborough and had themselves a win. They were really proud of it lasted four minutes and then they were mad again about something. And, and it's just, it's what happens when you endure a dynasty is you are thankful for it, but then you compare everything against it. And trust me, the day to day of a normal mundane NFL season for the non heavyweight, is uh is is something that you can complain about when you've lived through a dynasty so, so we can look at the bengals right now bob yeah, right and they're yeah. they're they're all their new shiny little baby that was their buck season right there cheeks yeah, yeah that was their uh, but it's, it's really funny you know as you were talking and i'll let you go after this it's the metaphor i have is now we're outside the house watching at the at the end of the year the entire country is outside the house peeking through the windows at one fan base yeah yeah people must be so happy to see the patriots outside the house yeah well i mean it 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 lasted about three times longer than anybody thought it would and and uh i suppose i mean who can doubt belichick but i say i suppose if you can you know if you can go from montana to steve young or from brett Favre to aaron Rodgers, maybe 
maybe Mac is, is, is a, a quality player and his career arc will be way better than, than I think. But, uh, but the bottom line with these Super Bowl rankings is to understand honestly how difficult it is to win a Super Bowl in a 32 team league. And, and, you know, you don't have to be a math major to understand one in 32 probabilities over a human lifespan means there's a chance in your life that you should see your team win roughly two to three in your entire life. And uh, if you if you live to be 80, uh, you know, the numbers suggest you should get two to three. And if you end up with twice that in a 20 year span, uh, you know, you were you were born in the right place at the right time. But uh, but but now the bill comes due. And uh, I was just talking to a San Antonio Spurs fan. I mean, think about the Spurs in a market even less relevant than the Milwaukee Bucks. And they won, you know, countless titles there from 99 to 2014. They won five of them. I guess you can count them. But uh, the, po- the point is now they're acting like San Antonio. They're acting like a market where, you know, NBA players won't want to spend much time. And, and uh, they're back in the lottery. And they're, you know, they're, they're dreaming of an eight seed. And, and that's, that's real. That's reality. What you experience as a Spurs fan or a Patriots fan, that's not reality. That is, that is fantasy world. And, uh, and, and, and I always appreciate the times of fantasy because uh, unfortunately uh, Monday comes, the weekend's over and you got to go back to work. You know what we might talk about tonight on our television shows? What's that? Not to, not to throw my producers under the bus who are always trying to find topics. Should the Patriots trade Mac Jones to get a better quarterback? <laughs> That's the symptom. That's the symptom. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's it's so it's starting. Uh, it's it's starting where you could get a Tony Romo and followed by a Dak Prescott, and they're both treated like they. We gotta get off this guy. He ain't good enough. He's not good a, enough. This is a millstone. Please give us uh, Danny White again. You know, so it's, it's it's funny stuff, man. It's it's a mentally broken fan bases after dynasties. It usually takes a couple decades, though. So you guys should be good for a while. Okay, well, we appreciate you very much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Bob Sturm. It was a real pleasure to be with you. All right, my God, that was so much fun. You never know. You never know. I got to cast a wider net with this pod. Get more guests in. I hope you guys liked that. If you did, hit me with a comment just so I know, because I look for the comments. I look. I do. The ratings and all that stuff. It helps. It's good stuff. Uh, So if you enjoyed Bob and you want me to cast a wider net, or actually if you have some guest ideas, let me know, because, you know, we're into the quieter season. I'm going to be on hiatus next week, taking off Tuesday. And Thursday, no Patriots talk pod. Me and the missus are going down to Nashville. And I'm also working on a story on Medina Dixon. You remember her, Cambridge Region Latin? She went to Old Dominion. She was an Olympian. She passed away last November. Um, so I'm working on a longer story on, on her and the impact that she had. And um, it's just a remembrance. I'm just bringing you up to date on what's going to be in the immediate future for the pod. We'll be back, as I said, after uh, next Thursday. But also want to let you know we have some leftovers from last week i got jt the brick legendary raiders broadcaster sideline reporter and you've heard him a million times on the overnights jt the brick i wanted to talk to him about josh mcdaniels and the reaction in raider nation to mcdaniels so enjoy this and we're going to be out and we'll talk to you in a week and a half whatever unless it's an emergency you know i always come back if there's an emergency All right, with me now, 
Longtime friend, JT the Brick. You've heard him a million times, and he is a Raiders. How long have you been doing play-by-play -play for them? Uh, Caller? Sideline for them, and I've been doing their coaches show and all their media. I just finished my 23rd season, going on 24. That is a long time. That's a long time with it's, one place. And it has been eventful at different junctures, but it hasn't been necessarily successful over the course of the last 23 years. Well, when I started, I started with the Raiders in 1998. The first four years. Those are good times. We're talking, but we had the tuck rule mixed in on that. We had a Super Bowl run. We had two AFC championship games, Tom, and I thought that was every year now going forward. And then we had one of the biggest droughts you could have. And now the Raiders are kind of coming out of it, making the playoffs this year. And the coach who helped them get there, Rich Basacci, is out. And they bring in Josh McDaniels, who I'm pretty excited about because I've been on in Boston on the radio most of my career and knew the run that he had, six Super Bowl rings. So I call him the most qualified mm -hmm. assistant in the history of the NFL to take a head coaching position. I agree with you. And that's, if we line up all the coaches in the NFL and strip away their titles, I think Josh stands as somebody who's more experienced and has a longer resume in coaching in big games and developing players than anybody but about five different coaches. You know, the Harbaugh's, the Tomlin's, the Belichick's. Um, those are the players who I, excuse me, the coaches I would say would be higher on that chain than him because of his success and his experience. Do you have any misgivings? Because there was obviously the Indianapolis situation, the Denver situation also in the AFC West. Did you have any initial misgivings or just the fan base? I have none. I could care less about that. I mean, that's decisions he made in his life. I don't know all the details on why he walked away from Indy, but clearly the pull back to New England was strong and very successful. So leaving that, but could he have handled that better? Probably, but his press conference was amazing. When he came down those stairs, and he's in a brand new facility in Las Vegas in Henderson, that whole press conference, Tom, was about him clearing up that past move to Denver and what he thought about Denver and how he matured since then. He didn't touch much on Indianapolis, but you could tell Mark Davis and him hit it off in the interview. And the reason why Mark Davis wanted to do this deal was to do a two-headed monster with Dave Ziegler. They want to find the success that the Patriots had because this was John Gruden's team. And I'm, I'm tight with Coach Gruden, and Coach Gruden did a pretty good job. This team was a good team this year before he resigned, and I think this move's going to bring a lot of stability to the organization and hopefully put them on a better track because they were on a good track with 10 wins. I'll ask you, Josh comes in with a 10-win team. What are expectations year one? Expectations with a, with a seasoned quarterback and the array of players they have. You know, Max Crosby was just here. They have some talent. They have some speed on defense. They already play with an edge. I thought Passaccia did a fantastic he job. Did. Um, so there seems to be like a self-starting culture among the players to me. And, you know, with Carr, you have one of the more talented quarterbacks in the league who is really, I don't know why everything hasn't come out of him that's in there or the inconsistency of it, JT. Yeah, the inconsistency is interesting, Tom, because there are games where he throws for 320 yards, three touchdowns, no picks and you're going, oh my God, this mm -hmm. is incredible. Then there are other games where it's around 200 plus yards and it's just not as explosive. I, I think the world of Derek Carr and I've gotten to know him over his career. I just hope now that Josh takes that offense and makes it go more up-tempo, a little bit faster. No, 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 get out of, the Raiders get to the line of scrimmage with three, four seconds left on the play clock. They change, Derek changes the play a lot and the defense sometimes triggers on that because they know you got to snap it right. in two seconds. I, with Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, and I call Josh McDaniel the architect of the new era of slot receiver. With Edelman, with all the players that he had over the years, Jules, 
to see these guys explode, and now he gets Hunter Renfro. Yeah, I'm telling you, he's special, Hunter Renfro. They want to make him Wes Welker, Amendola. Edelman very quickly and 100 catches this year. Yeah, he should be an unbelievable weapon for him. What will be interesting, too, is the way they'll use him to open things up. I mean, do who would he's not really your jet sweep guy, is he? No, and that was the problem. Once Henry Ruggs and the tragedy yep. that killed the young woman out there, they went out and got Deshaun Jackson, and that didn't work out. They brought him in, and it just didn't work. So the Raiders' priority, I would think, for Josh McDaniels is to get a young, speedy wide receiver. And remember, Tom, they did. They had Amari Cooper yep. and Henry Ruggs. It wasn't like the Raiders said, hey, we don't need a wide receiver. So if they can get a wide receiver in the draft or free agency, the big elephant in the room is Devontae Adams. He played with Carr in college at Fresno State. That's the player that the Raiders should target, but Green Bay could franchise tag him. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Great, man. Good to see you. I'm sure you're going to treat him right out well, there. He's a good guy. I watch all your coverage because I got every channel at home in Vegas. I love the work you do. I appreciate it when you come on my radio shows. Uh, we appreciate you. Have a good time out Thank there you, in Vegas. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Take you to the brick.